you want to turn with me, uh, we'll, we'll jump into the book of Proverbs 4.23. You can stand if you want to. That'll be fine. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We'll also go to Acts 13.22 and go to 1 Samuel 13 and verse number 14. And I feel like uh, Sister Judy or whoever is up there, if you'll have uh, the book of Jude, uh, maybe around verse 4, we might, we might go there here in just a moment. Proverbs 4 and 23. Let's read this verse together. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray you'll talk to us tonight. Open our minds to receive it, and God, help us to cultivate a heart that is after you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, speak to us today. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. You can be seated. I uh, also wanted to just read a couple more verses. It's in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Uh, it, it's, we're just picking up in the middle of a sermon here. But he has given a history of Israel, and he says, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will." God said, I found somebody, which means he was looking for somebody. He's looking for people who are after his heart. Don't be confused whenever it says David was a man after, whenever he says, David, a man after mine own heart. God's saying, David was after my heart. Um, And so, so I want to talk to you a little more tonight about the heart of a king. The first Samuel Chapter 13 and verse number 14 says this. This is Samuel talking to Saul. And uh, please don't, don't be too weary with me. I keep going back to Saul. Brother Pat, I'm trying to talk about the kings of Israel. And I keep going back to the first one. Uh, but it says, Samuel says this. He says, Now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Saul was the chosen of God. Uh, and God was looking for somebody whose heart was perfect toward him. But at some point, Saul's heart changed. And in the midst of that, God changed his opinion towards Saul, uh, which is entirely possible. We, we, don't really, we don't like that, probably, the fact that the condition of our heart will affect the way that God treats us. Now, now we like it if we're going in the right direction. Because how many of you were heathens? How many of you were, were knuckleheads? How many of you were rank sinners? And you believed that whenever you changed your heart, whenever you repented and said, God, forgive me, I don't want to do that junk anymore, God changed His face toward you. And all of a sudden, your destiny can change where you were getting ready, forgive this metaphor, you were get, or this euphemism, you were getting ready to split hell wide open, but you had a change of heart. And, and as a result, God gave you a change of destiny. 
But we don't like the fact that if we change our heart again, God can again change our destiny. The, the book of Jude, uh, if you'll pull that verse up there, we'll just kind of read along together and we'll, we'll get somewhere tonight, I hope. Uh, in fact, if, if you'll go up one verse, if you would please. Uh, verse number three, it says uh, something about, I, I've written unto you concerning the, the common salvation. Uh, verse number three, can we back up one? Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you, of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. it, it, It is your responsibility. I want to remind you, you've got to be earnest about this thing. You that word contend, it if you're a contender, but Tommy, we got heavyweight contenders and featherweight contenders and flyweight contenders, but they're all fighters. You got to fight for the faith that was once delivered. Next verse, he says, "For there's people that have crept in unawares that were ordained unto this uh, this this garbage." Verse number four. Let me. Uh, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. Verse number five. There it is. I will therefore, he says, because you need to earnestly contend for the faith, I want to give you a little bit of information. I want to remind you of some things. Though you once knew this, I don't want you to forget, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels, next verse, it says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath he reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto the judgment of, unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Uh, sometimes we get so bogged down in all the verbiage, we don't really pick out what Jude's really trying to communicate to us. And what he is communicating to us is, you need to contend and fight for what you've got, because If you'll remember, God saved all of Israel out of Egypt and then destroyed the ones that didn't believe. After He saved them all, they didn't enter into the promised land because of unbelief and He let them die in a wilderness. And then He says, by the way, remember this because it's an example as well. The angels, somebody say angels. The angels who kept not their first estate. In other words, there was, there was a third of those angels that followed Lucifer that said, I'll ascend and be like the Most High. And God kicked them out of heaven. And as the, the late great Johnny James would say, He kicked them out good. And now they're reserved in chains of darkness. And, and by the way, I also want you to remember about Sodom and Gomorrah because they're an example to you of the result of people who are disobedient to God's will and God's plan and God's purpose. He says, remember God is willing to kill those that He saved. Remember God's willing to kick angels out of heaven. And remember God is going to be a consuming fire at the end of this age. We've got to make sure our heart is right toward Him.
Oh God, help us to have a heart that is right towards you. Because Saul was right and then he became disobedient. All right, let me, let me, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Uh, but uh, we've been talking about the heart of a king. That God, uh, his, his, his eye was on the heart of all these kings. And uh, so many of them were uh, started out good and they ended poorly. And I want us to look at what happened to them. Uh, because we don't want to be tripped up in the same way. Okay. All right. All right. At least three of us. We don't want to be tripped up in the same way. Uh, and so tonight, uh, if we could jump into the book of Second Chronicles, I'm going to read a few verses to you about uh, a king named Joash. Last week we talked about uh, Jehoshaphat, which if you say fast enough, it sounds like you're sneezing. Talked about Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was, a, was a, a great king. He did lots of good stuff, and the only mistake he made, uh, there's a couple, but the, 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 the one that he made that we really would gloss over is he allowed his son to be married to Jezebel's daughter. There's a bumper sticker. Don't let your sons... Be, no, that would be a country song. Okay. Um, married... Jezebel's daughter, name was Athaliah. Whenever, whenever her husband died, she became advisor to the next king because that was her son. And when, when he died, she killed all the grandkids except for one. And his name was Joash. When all this chaos was going on, the high priest, whose name was Jehoiada, and his wife, whose name also started with a J, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because if we have all these J names going on, we're just all going to be confused. So we're going to call her Jehoiada's wife. Jehoiada and his wife snatched up Joash as an infant and took him to the house of God and hid him in the house of God because the house of God should be a refuge. And so he was raised there, protected there, and hidden there from Athaliah, who I think is one of the most wicked characters in all of human history. So he's, he's hid there as, as a little baby, and Jehoiada and Jehoiada's wife, they take care of him, and they raise him. And, and when, jo, when, when Joash was seven years old, Jehoiada began to gather some power. He began to consult with the other Levites and the other priests. And he says, it's time for us to get rid of uh, Athaliah and we're going to put the rightful king on the throne, Joash. And so he, he, he hatched a plan and he told the Levites, you're going to stand guard here and some of you are going to stand guard here and we're going to bring Joash into the court and, and, and we're going to set the, the crown on his head and he's going to be king. And so that's what they did. And they, they set the crown on that, that young man's head and, and they celebrated and they rejoiced. And when, when, uh, when, when Athaliah heard about it, she, she, you know, she flipped her wig. And she, she went nuts and she starts screaming, treason, treason. And, and she showed up in the temple and I think Jehoiada was like, hey, that's what I was looking for. Hey, y'all get rid of her. And uh, that's what they did. They, they drug her out the gate and uh, she was no more. And it says in 2 in second Chronicles chapter 24, verse number 1, that Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. 
And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name also was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which, that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. In 2 Kings 12 and 2, it's the parallel story. It says it this way, that Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Joash started out as a fantastic king. Under the rule of Joash, they restored the temple. Because when his wicked grandma was there, they were, they were doing all kinds of wicked heathen stuff, and the temple had gone into disrepair. And, and, and under the rule of Joash, they, they took up a big old offering. They went around, if I, if I remember the story correctly, they went around to all the towns with their, with their offering plate. And, you know, they, hey, we're going to repair the temple. And, and, and Jehoiada got a big, big steamer chest or trunk or something, and they got that bracing bit out, and they bored a hole in the top of it and said, hey, here's the offering plate. Now, wouldn't that be cool, Brother Tommy? Let me, let me aside for just a second. Wouldn't that be cool? We need to get rid of offering plates, and we'll just get us a big old, big old steamer chest up here. But right here, got a hole in the top of it. And that's what they did. And they brought their offering there and they said that the, the workers worked with, uh, uh, they were faithful to, to the work and they didn't even take an account of the money that was brought because they were faithful and they put the temple back together. And under Joash, the temple was repaired. And under Joash, they restored sacrifice. The daily sacrifice went on and they had a great restoration and a great revival under King Joash. The fact was that as long as Jehoiada was there by Joash's side. They had revival in Jerusalem. He was successful because he had a man of God in his life. I want to tell you, I am so thankful for a man of God in my life. I, I know that there was a David Chrisman who went to a little town t- named, t- called Charmco. His wife and daughter didn't want to go there. There were seven people in that little church whenever he went there that voted on him to be pastor in that little no place in the middle of nowhere. But I'm thankful that he went there. And I'm thankful that he preached me to an altar. And I'm thankful that he laid his hands on me. I'm thankful that he put me down in the name of Jesus. And I owe everything that I am to the man of God in my life. I'm so thankful for a Frank Bounds, and I'm so thankful for a David Bounds that is my pastor now, that in, in a time when my ministry and my walk with God was in a shambles, I'm so glad, Brother Josh, that there was a man that rescued me and said there is a refuge in the house of God. You can... I'm thankful for a Glen Ferris Apostolic Church where you can come and there is a refuge for the hurting. There's a refuge from the storms of life. There is a refuge here and you can be safe in the house of God. Praise God. I'm so thankful for a pastor in my life. I, I, I believe that everyone needs somebody to be accountable to. I believe that everyone needs someone in authority in their life. Because submission and authority are a matter of heart. Let me prove that to you. Right. We've got to rewind. We've got to go back to Saul, Brother Pat. I apologize. But 
We'll go back to Saul in just a minute, but I'll, let's talk about a matter of faith. In, in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 5, it says Jesus was entered into a town called Capernaum or Capernaum, or pronounce it however you want to. And there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Now look at your neighbor and say, that's great faith. It was great faith, Brother Tommy wrote, because Jesus had just said, I'll come to your house and I'll heal him. And the centurion said, nah, you don't have to do that. If you'll just speak the word, my servant will be healed. Long distance. And then the servant, I, I intentionally interrupted the centurion. And then the centurion goes on and explains how he knows that. He said, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. He said, now I want you to see this. He said, I am a man, everybody say, under authority. In other words, I've got somebody that I answer to. I'm a man under authority, and when I say to this man, go, he goes. And when I say to this one, come here, he, you're okay. He's like that. He's on his way. Why does that happen? He says, because I'm a man under authority. He said, I have authority because I am under authority. Authority. And if we want authority in the kingdom of God, we have to first be submitted in the kingdom of God. And when the next verse, and when Jesus heard that, he marveled. Wouldn't you like to just blow Jesus' mind? There's, if I remember correctly, Brother Pat, there's two places where Jesus marveled. Once, he marveled at their unbelief. And in this situation, Jesus marveled and said, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith in all Israel. He was astounded by the centurion's faith, but the centurion expressed his faith through his understanding of authority. And when we understand the concept of authority, it's a matter of faith in our lives. Samuel and Saul. Samuel's in Gilgal, I believe. And Saul is chasing wild donkeys. Now this sounds like it's going to turn out really good, doesn't it? Saul and his, and his buddy, his, his servant, servant in the household there, they are searching for dad's lost donkeys. And they run into Samuel. And they say... Hey, Samuel's a prophet. He can tell us where dad's lost donkeys are. Now, can you imagine? Just, just, just hold on here for a second. Because here's Saul going to have an audience with the prophet that his words never fell to the ground. 
And the best question he had for him is we've lost our donkeys and don't know where to find them. You thought he'd ask, I don't know, that doesn't do for you what it does for me, but I think I would have come up with a better question to ask the prophet. But the prophet says, don't you worry about the donkeys, they're home. But God led you to me, and he says, you're going to be the next king. And so Samuel anoints Saul to be the next king. And then Samuel gives Saul some instruction. He says, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go down before me to Gilgal and Behold, I'll come down and offer some burnt offerings and sacrifice some sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you'll stay there till I come and show you what you will do. And verse number 9 in 1 Samuel chapter 10 says, And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Saul, somebody say, he obeyed. Saul, who was up until this point just a professional wild donkey chaser, has an experience with the prophet of God. And the prophet gives him some instructions that are a little bit off the wall, quite quite frankly, because Saul needs to get home because dad's looking for him. Samuel says, Saul, I want you to go down to Gilgal and I want you to stay there for seven days and I'll be down there in seven days. It sounds eerily similar to the instructions that he gave him years later. Whenever he said, I'm going to come sacrifice in a few days, don't do anything till I get there. But this time, the first time, Samuel gives the instruction, Saul turns in obedience and walks that way. And it says when, in verse number 10, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 9, when he turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him, somebody read it, what it says, another heart. Why? Because submission is a matter of heart. And whenever he... Watch what happened. Whenever he submitted himself to the prophet, submitted himself to to godly leadership, it says he gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. You You can read the first part of the chapter to find out what that is. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Now remember, up until this point, he's just a professional donkey chaser. But after he turned in obedience, he got a new heart and gifting came on his life. He came, the Spirit of God came upon him and he began to prophesy. And, and if you read on, everybody's scratching their head saying, is Saul among the prophets? What happened to Saul? I'm going to tell you what happened to Saul. Saul made a decision to be obedient to the man and the will of God in his life. And it transformed his heart and it increased his level of faith. Because obedience is a matter of heart and it's a matter of faith. And that's what happened with Joash. All the days of Jehoiada, Joash is doing whatever is right in the sight of the Lord. Now, I know that this lesson, this series of lessons is entitled The Heart of a King. This is the only king that I've found so far that it doesn't say anything about his heart. It only talks about his actions. It doesn't tell us about his heart. And so, Brother Pat, we we need to dig into this and dive into this and find out what was in Joash's heart. Because all the days of Jehoiada the priest, 
I need to. I need, I need all the all the small kids are downstairs. Come here. You're not a small kid, but you're shorter than me. I needed somebody to be Joash. Come here, buddy. Now one day you might grow up and be taller than me, but not today. You're you're five three today. Okay. Joash was, somebody tell me how old he was when he became king. Seven years old. And Jehoiada was there. In fact, Jehoiada was there from the time that Joash was an infant. It was Jehoiada's wife that took care of Joash in the temple. And so, as, as little Joash grew up, certainly he saw Jehoiada not just as a spiritual figure, but as a father figure. And so... Uh, Here's, here's Joash, seven years old, got the crown on his head. We should have really worked on this before service. We could have got you a crown, could have got you a robe. But whatever Jehoiada, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I think we can read into it pretty well, Sister Martha. A seven-year-old isn't going to be like, hey, you know what? We should repair the temple. I got a plan. Let's, let's take up an... Let's. A seven-year-old's not doing that. There's somebody beside him, and his name's Jehoiada, saying, son, you, you grew up in this temple, and, and your wicked grandmother, God rest her soul, or don't rest her soul, whatever you want to do, Lord. But she let the temple go into disrepair. What do you think? You think we should repair this? Oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And so Joash gives the commandment, we're going to repair the temple. And the word of the king goes forth and stuff starts to happen. And as long as Jehoiada the priest was around, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord. You make a good little king. All right, I want you to go sit back down now because I'm going to talk bad about you. Joash was a wonderful king as long as he had the man of God right there in his life. But it says in verse 17, Now after the death of Jehoiada. So Jehoiada, the the man of God in his life, passed off the scene. And it says, At that time came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king, and the king hearkened unto them. Well, what did the princes of Judah want? I don't know what the princes of Judah want, but it says in the next verse, They left the house of God, they served the groves and the idols, and the wrath and, and, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespass. So whatever the princes of Judah came and, and talked to Joash, and Joash went from following righteousness to following the whims of those princes. And they set up idols and they worshiped the groves. Here's what I understand about Joash is that he only served God to please the preacher. He only did what was right because Jehoiada was there beside him. But when the preacher was gone, when the preacher was out out of sight, after he had passed off the scene... He could be influenced by whatever came down the pike next. Here's what I want you to understand. If you are strictly loyal to a man and not to God, you'll be loyal to the next man and the next man might be unrighteous. If you, if you can give your loyalty to, and, and you are concerned about 
only what man thinks, then you're going to be concerned about what the next person down the pike thinks. And his loyalty transferred from righteous Jehoiada to the unrighteous princes of Judah. We've got to make up in our minds that it's not the preacher that keeps me saved. It's not the praise team that keeps me saved. I keep me saved because I've got a relationship. We cannot fall into the trap of riding everybody else's relationship with God to be saved. we got to have our own relationship with God to be saved. We need to be under submission? Absolutely. We need to have a pastor? Absolutely. I believe that. But we got to have a relationship with God because men pass away. Men are not omnipresent. Men are not always watching. But we serve a God whose eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone whose heart is perfect toward Him. I used to preach a message, Brother Josh, I may have preached it here years ago, and the title was, Who Keeps You Saved? You better make sure that it's Jesus and you that keep you saved. you got to have a walk with God. Elijah walked with God. Elisha walked with God. Gehazi walked with Elisha. And when temptation came... Gehazi sold out and lived the rest of his life in a a leper colony. Paul walked with God, but Demas walked with Paul. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, all those guys, they walked with Jesus. Something happened to Judas. There was a flaw in his relationship someplace. We have got to make sure that the greatest influence in our life is God and His Word. Well, let me throw this out here for a moment. It's possible. (laughs) Sister Fonda, I hope you love the preacher. She does. I know she loves me. She tells me all the time. But it's possible to love the man of God and not love the ways of God. And I'm not singling you out by any means. It's possible to love the man of God but not love the ways of God. And it's possible to do this and this and this and this and this because the preacher says so, but it never got in your heart. And I was praying today, and I I don't think I got all the answers, but I was praying today, and I want to know, what are the signs that you're living for God to please someone else? What are the signs that show, yeah, I'm I'm living for God to, I'm doing what is right, in the sight of the Lord to please someone else. Whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent, whether it's a minister. What are the symptoms? Maybe I'll let you ponder on that for a little bit because you could probably, maybe you could come up with some better answers than me. But the story goes on. And he says, they set up those groves, they set up those idols. 
I'm talking about Joash that did what was right in the sight of God. They set up those idols. They set up those, those, the groves. They, they started worshiping false gods. And it says, And God sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord. And they testified, the prophets testified against them, but they wouldn't listen. God is always sending a voice whenever you go astray. God's always sending. You, you, you read these and, and you'll find God always reaching for His people. And He sends a man of God. He sends the prophets, but they wouldn't listen. And, and it says in verse number 20, And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress you the commandments of the Lord that you cannot prosper? Because you've forsaken the Lord, He has also forsaken you. If, if, they're going to listen, if Joash is going to listen to anybody, it's bound to be Jehoiada's son. And that's the prophet that stands up. He would have been like a brother to him, I would imagine. So this prophet stands up and says, Hey! Quit! Stop it! says, why do you transgress the commandments? Surely this guy, Tommy, surely the son of Jehoiada is going to be able to turn the tide and they're going to repent. But it says they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king. I don't know whether to be mad or to cry. Because... Zechariah, the son of the man that rescued him. And he said, I love the man, but I don't love the message. And I'm willing to kill the messenger because I don't love the message. I think we ought to lift our hands right now. Father, God, I want to fall in love with the message. I want to fall in love with the message. God, I want my heart to be right. God, order my steps in Your Word. God, I want to fall in love with Your ways. I want to fall in love with Your will. I want my heart to seek after You. I don't want to serve You because somebody's watching my every move. I don't want to serve You because I think I'm going to get in trouble with my parent or my pastor. God, give me a desire to serve You because You're good. Give me a desire to serve you because you're right. Give me a desire to serve you because you're worthy. I want to tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, God's looking for someone who will serve Him with all of their heart, all of their soul, with all of their strength. If you don't serve God because of God, you can end up being the killer of ministries. And I have seen churches destroy preachers. 
I am not the least bit intimidated by that. Don't, don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm going along those lines. I don't think that at all. And I don't want to, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in this room. I love everybody here. And I believe that you love me. But we've got to keep an eye on our heart. He was a temple repairer. He was a sacrifice restorer. He was a doer of the great works of God. But whenever he fell into the wrong influence, he couldn't keep himself saved. God help us. Let's stand to our feet tonight. God is looking for men and women who've prepared their heart to seek him. God's looking for men and women whose hearts are perfect toward Him. God's looking for men and women whose desires are in alignment with His desires. And I know, hey, hey, you know what? It's possible. Watch this now. I know I'm preaching to, to a bunch of Holy Ghost filled, holy rolling, owl running, all kinds of stuff, right? You shake your head up and down. We believe in that stuff, don't we, for the text? Acts chapter, I can't remember, I think it's Acts chapter 8. Is that right, Brother Josh? Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down to Samaria. He preaches Christ to them. And they gave heed to the preaching of Philip. And they, they saw the signs, the wonders. and They, they got baptized in Jesus' name. Uh, just like my friend back there, Brother Justin Cruz, who got baptized last night in Jesus' name. They go down to, to Samaria and they are having throw down church. And ain't nobody got the Holy Ghost, so they call Peter and John. They come down there, they lay hands on them. People start talking in tongues and they, they, they're going crazy. They're having revival. And, and there's a man amongst the crowd who I believe, Brother Pat, was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, who had this great experience. His name was Simon. And Simon looked at those apostles and said, Hey, let me do what you just did because that's cool stuff right there. Let me be able to lay hands on people and they get the Holy Ghost. And this guy who was filled with the Spirit, who was baptized in Jesus' name, Peter looks at him and says, Your heart is not right in this matter. It is possible for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It is possible for us to have repented and been baptized and our hearts still not be right with God. When you're born again of the water and the Spirit, all that does is open the door so that you can be part of the kingdom of God. But we got to have a right heart if we want to participate in the kingdom of God. Why don't we lift our hands right now and begin to speak to Him. Father, I want my heart to be right. Father, I'm asking You, even as David asked You, search me, O oh God, and try me. God, let the meditations of my heart, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in Your sight. God, if my heart is not right, then God, I pray that You would create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Search my heart, oh God. I want to be pure in Your sight.